Colossians chapter 1 in your Bibles. We'll be, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, we've moved on. I'm stuck in the, in the past. It is a blessing to have the children here, and I just wanted to say to you, we have a spare bedroom. If you guys wanted to come over and fix some things, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, it's always nice to have the in-laws, especially when that's the case, right? Well, we're glad you're here. We're glad, I'm glad all of you are here tonight. Let's jump into Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1, one and go through verse 7. But our focus tonight is going to be verses 1 through 4. So let's jump in Colossians chapter 1. I keep saying that. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says this. For I would, Paul says, that ye, the, the Colossian believers knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have um, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, I need your help. Already I've been stumbling over my words, so Father, I ask that you would give me freedom, liberty, that you would give me clarity of speech, that I would not say anything that you would not have me to say. Lord, this truth is so deep and so rich and so powerful that I pray that nothing would distract, that your people would be fed tonight, lifted up, and that if there's anyone here tonight that has never tasted the goodness of the Lord, that tonight they would see what is available for them in Jesus Christ. Lord, when we see Jesus in all his glory, the desires of this world simply fade away. They are nothing compared to you. Reveal yourself to us, please, tonight. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight's message is entitled, Hidden Treasures, the Mystery Revealed. Now, we've already discussed the mystery having been revealed, something that was hidden from ages past. The Old Testament saints didn't quite fully understand everything that God had for them. And when God became flesh, and lived among us, and fulfilled the law, and went to the cross, and was buried, and rose again, that mystery was unpacked, and us looking back can say, oh, I get Leviticus now, I get um, all the, the rituals, and the priesthood, and the sacrifices, I get it now. It was all pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who would come, take your sins upon himself, Go to the cross, pay it in full, be buried, rise again the third day, and offer salvation by grace through faith in his name. And that's the mystery revealed. And furthermore, when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ alone, 
he translates them from darkness into the kingdom of light and changes us from the inside out and makes us one with him. That is mysterious. And not only one with him, but you and I are one with each other. And again, we reference that Old Testament temple structure with the holy of holies and the holy place and then the, the rest of the, the temple where sacrifices were made and the lavers, etc. And then the courtyards separating individuals according to their demographic of who was allowed to go in before the presence of God. And you remember that it was only the high priest on what day? The day of atonement was able to take the blood sacrifice into that Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant before the presence of Almighty God. Wow. And when they built the tabernacle just out of Egypt, the glory of the Lord descended and Moses was not able to go in because of that glory. And then he gave Leviticus and said, I'll make a way for you to come in before me. But when Jesus died on the cross, he ripped the veil in two and said... I'm going to remove all these, these barriers and anybody in any of the courtyards can come right on in before me in Jesus Christ. What a powerful truth. What a, what a mystery, especially to the Jewish mind, that Gentiles are now one with Jews in Jesus Christ. What a mystery. But it's been revealed. Now, just... Quickly to review, simply because I haven't done this in a while and we're moving on in chapter 2, I'll give you a quick, quick breakdown of the book. We're in the doctrinal section. And doctrine is not boring, it is powerful. So please act like a sponge and soak up every bit of doctrine you can get tonight. Because it's useful, it's powerful, and it, it can help you overcome the evil one, stand strong in Christ, and live for his glory. Another possibility, as I've said before, is the exalted Messiah and then now the suffering apostle. Paul is explaining to the saints here in Colossae and Laodicea and in the area about his personal sufferings specifically for them. He's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings because I have a goal in mind that my sufferings are helping me to achieve. And do you remember what that goal was? It was so that the believers could understand these truths and go on into maturity. And by the way, that's what doctrine does. So eat it up, soak it up, dig deep, folks, all right? Get your thinking caps on, get ready, buckle in, because this truth is so very powerful. I was gonna preach verses one through seven, but I realized there's so much here, and this is such a powerful, impactful truth that let's just stick with these four verses and I hope and pray that it is a blessing to you tonight. So give me your attention and effort as we dive in and search out the Word of God. Let's quickly review and refresh our memory as to the key concept of Colossians. Colossians is Paul's rumble strip message to the Colossian believers because they were getting off track with these lies, this Colossian heresy, a mixture of Gnosticism and um, law keeping or from the Judaizers they were getting off course and he was saying no 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 keep your focus on Jesus keep Christ at the center he uh, the gospel in the word of truth he focuses on the gospel especially in chapter one 
because it teaches that Christ is God come in the flesh, crucified for the sins of the world, risen victoriously over death and hell, and sitting on the right hand of God in all authority over creation. This is the guiding principle that keeps them on track, all right? Furthermore, oh, I skipped the slide, I'm sorry. Um, the key concept uh, is that with Christ at the center, the church can stay on course that was laid out for them in the Apostles' Doctrine, and therein they find everything they need. Jesus is more than enough. And, and the Gnostics and the Judaizers and the world was telling them all kinds of lies and saying, you haven't learned this, and let me tell you, this secret truth, oh my, let me blow your mind. You haven't tried this yet. Come try this. You don't know what you're missing. That's exactly what Satan said. He said, Eve, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah, 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 I know God said he gave you everything you need in the garden and you can enjoy any tree. Matter of fact, that's what Eve said when the devil asked her, did God really say you can't eat of this fruit of the knowledge of tr tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What did she say? She said, well, God said we can enjoy the fruit of all the garden, but not this one. And the devil said, you're missing out. No, folks, God is good. And he's provided everything good that you need. Trust his goodness. Don't believe the lies that you're missing out somehow. It, I forget if it was uh, John R. Rice, but he preached the message that was entitled, All Satan's Worms. <laughs> I just gave it away. All Satan's apples have worms. He says, you're, you're missing out. Oh, look at this. It's good. Oh, it's good for food. Oh, there's a worm inside and I have the other half in my belly, you know. Satan's lies are very deceptive. He, he's crafty, okay? And he, 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 Paul, in this passage, warns the believers. He says, I'm giving you this truth so that no man beguile you. There's lies out there, and if you believe them, you'll get off track, thinking you'll be satisfied, but you'll end up in a ditch completely dissatisfied, regretting that you ever stepped off the path that goes to Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. All right. Here in Colossians chapter 2, I got it, verses 1 through 7, here are some concepts to consider. So keep these things in mind as we journey together through this passage. Number one, Paul's conflict for the saints. He's, he has some type of conflict going on that he wants the believers to know about. The acknowledgement of the mystery, what does that mean? Well, we know what the mystery is, or at least we understand uh, a little bit about it. There's, there's so much more that we haven't re, uh, searched out yet. Hidden treasures in Jesus Christ. So we have a mystery that's been revealed, but therein are treasures that we still have to dig out. All right? Walking in Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like for you and for me? Rooted, built up, and established. This was going to be my message, rooted in him, built up in him, established in the faith. But these verses 1 through 4 had such a powerful truth that, that I think is necessary for us to get there. And then abounding therein. So some concepts to consider. Let's look again at verse 1, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, for I would or I desire that you would know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. By the way, this is, this is one of the um, phrases that leads scholars to believe that Paul 
may never have visited this church or potentially the church in Laodicea, that area, all right? So this is one of those phrases. He hasn't seen them in the flesh, but this is still his conflict for them and his desire for them, that they would know about his conflict. What is Paul's conflict, right? What is that? Well, um, where was he writing from? He was potentially at Rome in a Roman prison cell, right? So, so there's at least part of what could be the conflict of Paul. What was that conflict? He's sitting in a Roman jail cell. He's out there preaching the word of God. And um, he's, he's struggling for the faith and for the gospel. And so Paul's conflict is that he's in potentially... Part of the conflict is that he is in um, a Roman prison cell. I got ahead of myself. A quick side note here. Paul struggled and was in prison because he's out there preaching the gospel, right? And sometimes we have that martyr complex, right? You know, oh, I'm suffering just like Paul. Well, let me read this for you. It says... We should ask ourselves whether the conflict that we face is a result of following Christ or a result of our own carelessness. Pastor has preached on this before, a coworker who wasted company time but gave the gospel and, wait, and prevented them from working. And then when he got in trouble for it, oh, woe is me, I'm preaching the gospel and here, you know, I'm, strugg I'm struggling and I'm suffering. Well, I think that was carelessness. Right? That wasn't wisdom. So is our conflict because we're following Christ out of a pure conscience, doing the right thing, or our own carelessness? Right? Are we at times acting unnecessarily antagonistic? You ever met a Christian like that? I can think of a church right now, I won't even mention it, but they stand with signs and have messages that are completely unnecessarily antagonistic. And by the way, there's a lot of lies in those signs that they hold. And they, they are proud of the conflict and, and the struggles that they face and the backlash they get because they feel that they're suffering for Jesus. And I just don't know that I see any reward in that. I don't think I see any benefit in that. It's unnecessarily antagonistic. I don't think that Paul was walking around the ancient Roman world um, looking to pick a fight. He was out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever that meant. And as you look at his writings, it's just packed full with love for the believers, for his countrymen. What did he say? He said, I, would, I wish that I, that I could be accursed from Christ for my countrymen in the flesh that they might come to Christ. I mean, what love is that? And so is our struggle or our conflict because of our carelessness or because we're following Jesus Christ? Are we being unnecessarily antagonistic? What does 1 Peter chapter 2 tell us? Hey, if you suffer for conscience sake, walking with God, you know, living for God, praise God for that. There's a good reward in that if you suffer wrongfully. For what glory is it though if when we be buffeted for our faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable unto God. So, to, to wrap this up, if we suffer, may it be for our Christ-likeness and not for our fighting spirit. 
Don't go out there just looking. Who, who can I rile up today for Jesus? I don't think that was Paul's attitude. I don't think it was Jesus' attitude. Paul was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And yes, he was antagonistic sometimes, but simply because there was a rejection of the message and um, an opposition. So he said, I'm going to stand for the truth and for Jesus Christ, come what may. So there he is in a prison cell. That's part of the conflict that Paul had for these believers. Now, also, perhaps the conflict that Paul had for these believers was grappling with this Colossian heresy. So Epaphras, the pastor, comes to Rome and says, Paul, we got a problem. There's some Gnostic lies and some Judaizers spreading some things, and our people are getting distracted. Help, Paul. And so there's Paul potentially in his prison cell combing over the scrolls, praying, seeking the word. How can I answer this? Writing this letter, there's a struggle there. Now ask any preacher who's worth his salt. He spends some time in conflict over the word. He says, what does that phrase mean? What does it mean in the original languages? Let me read these commentators who disagree with each other. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. I don't know what this means. And he, there's a struggle, right, Pastor? You, you, you grapple over this. And I imagine that Paul was such that when he heard this heresy, he, he was conflicted inside. Said, How do I answer this? Lord, give me wisdom and insight. Give me a word. And, he was, and, and there was a conflict. He was wrestling over this passage that he might um, minister to them through the word to address this heresy. Now, it could also have been some spiritual warfare and labor in prayer for them. As I'm preparing, and I know that as pastor prepares and Pastor Drew and others, as they prepare, there's often warfare going on. Just today, man, there was some distractions that I had as I was preparing. It was like Satan was working overtime to prevent you, God's people, from hearing the truth in Colossians chapter 2. I felt it. And I was praying, Lord, I need some help. And I think he came through. So I hope you're excited about that because there's a lot in store for you here tonight. There's a beautiful truth that if you get, you'll be bubbling over and ready to, to go and do warfare with the devil. So there's that spiritual warfare and that grappling in prayer to understand the passage and for you that you might catch this truth. I get excited when I study the word to preach. And sometimes, yes, it's a struggle, but I'm like, oh man, this is good. I hope I can say it right. I hope they get it. I hope they can take it home and, and store it away and apply it to their lives. Lord, help them in their struggles. Holy Spirit, take this truth and apply it right where they're sitting, right in their, in their life where they need it. And I imagine Paul is, is grappling and, and there's this conflict for them. And I believe that may have been Paul's conflict. Let's look again at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. That first phrase. For I would that ye knew about my conflict. He's not trying to hide the fact that he's, he, he is um, having this conflict for them. He wants them to know about it. Right? And this is why he's writing. Why did Paul want them to know? I was curious about that. What was so special about the people knowing? Was he showing off? Was he saying, I want you to know, boy, when I study the scriptures to preach to you, I mean, I grapple with the devil and I get a hold of God and I just, no, I don't think that it was any type of vain show. Well, I believe 
that he was potentially referencing his goal back in chapter 1. And if you remember what his goal was in chapter 1, it was that they would go on to maturity. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. He says, that we may present every man perfect, or what does that word perfect mean? Mature, to grow up into Christ. He wants to present every Christian mature in Jesus Christ, not only in this life, but ready to stand before the judgment seat and win reward. Whereunto, or for this purpose, to this end, I also labor and strive. Paul was the kind of guy that when he poured over Scripture and he wrote these letters, he was intimately involved. And he loved these people. And he had conflict as he prepared these writings and as he uh, studied the Word of God to answer these heresies. And I think it's referencing his goal in chapter 1. Also, I think that Paul believed that it would comfort them. He references that in um, verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted. You don't have to look at that now. But I believe that Paul, by communicating his conflict, would actually comfort the believer. Now that almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Right? Um, If my dad calls me, I remember those days at college, right? And as a college kid, I would unfortunately get busy and neglect to call my parents all the time. Any college parents identify with that, right? And so sometimes my parents would call me and they would say, hey, son, how you doing? What's going on? Tell me about your studies. Now, what message would a parent rather hear? Oh, dad, it's going great. I made new friends. I love my teachers. I'm getting all A's. I'm loving this. I'm so excited. I'm just, I'm loving every minute of it. Or, Dad, I'm so depressed. I'm failing all my classes. I miss home. And on and on and on. Nobody likes me. You know, I lost my books. And on and on and on, right? Which message would a parent rather hear? I would assume that it's the, the, the former, right? Because hearing about someone's conflict doesn't always comfort unless the conflict is for you. So, if, if there's a bad guy at the door, as bad as that may sound, and I hear a conflict going on, in a way, that's comforting because I know somebody's tackling the bad guy before he gets to me. Does that make sense? And, and Paul, so there's these, this heresy bearing down on the Colossian believers and these lies from the devil, and de- Satan is doing everything he can to keep the gospel influence right there in that Lycus River Valley, and like putting a bucket on it and standing on it and saying, no, no, no let's not let this thing out. But Paul is wrestling and grappling and striving in prayer and in the word. And I, I, the vision of Daniel and his prayer and the angels struggling with the prince of Persia come to my mind. There's spiritual warfare going on for you. There's a battle happening so that you might grow and mature and 
The mystery having been revealed that you might get hungry and dig deep into the treasures that are hidden in Christ and find out all these wonderful gems of truth and get excited and share it with your coworker and your neighbor and your brother and your sister and other people might get saved. And that conflict is happening for you and for me. And in a way, that is comforting. And here's Paul laboring, striving, and in conflict for the believers that they might go on into maturity, that they might have an answer to the heresy that they were facing from the, from the word of truth. And he thought, you know, that, that might comfort them, that I'm standing on the line fighting for them. And I praise God for, for men and women in my life who stood in the gap and fought for me. And I can think back to the high school I was a bad kid. I've told you that before. I, I was this close to getting kicked out, um, involved with the wrong friends, etc. But Pastor Lee Cattell, he would always put his arm around me and son and talk to me about how bad I was and how I should get right with the Lord and what the Lord's done for me. And his constant influence, and I'm sure his struggle in prayer and his fight for me paid off. And I know that there's a myriad of godly men and women who have stood in the gap and fought for you that you might have the scriptures, that you might know the way, the truth, and the life, that you might walk with God. And here Paul is in conflict for these believers because he loves them and wants them to walk in truth. And he believed that by communicating his struggle, his conflict, they would be in a way comforted. Wow, Paul's struggling for me. And not only comforted, but I think that Paul was convinced that he, by communicating his struggle, would, would um, motivate them to maturity, comfort them, and then that it would knit them together in love. He says that in verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So he struggles and wants to communicate that so that together they might be joined in unity. Do you remember where you were on September the 11th, 2001? Do you remember where you were? I remember exactly where I was. I was in the chapel overflow at Pensacola Christian College at the Sports Center. And just before chapel, Pastor Dr. Mullinex got up and made the announcement that two planes had crashed into the Twin Towers. And so he dismissed chapel. We all ran back to the dorms, turned the TV on, and watched the rest of the events unfold. For those of you who remember the aftermath and the, the days, weeks, and months after September 11, 2001, I can't believe it's been that long. Whew. 22 years. Uh, it feels like yesterday, doesn't it? Do you remember the unity of our country? It was, a young person who's not, who wasn't alive or doesn't remember, I, I, I feel for you because I've never seen anything like it in all my days in our country. I've never seen anything like it. People were standing together in the streets singing, um, was it God Bless America? What was the song? It wasn't God Bless America. It was... Um, no, it wasn't the Pledge of Allegiance. 
America the Beautiful. It was, it was, a, it was God Bless America or something. And there was actually a movement. To, they talked about changing the national anthem to this song. And it had to do with God being, you know, blessing the nation. And maybe it was God Bless America. I can't remember. Um, but the unity because of what? Because of conflict. Because our nation had been attacked. And, and firefighters and first responders and police officers rushed to the scene and gave their lives to try to rescue Americans. I'm getting a little choked up here. And that conflict, that struggle, and it easily identified an enemy. It brought us all together for a common cause. And Paul, I think, is saying, I want you to know about the conflict that I face against the devil and against his lies and the struggle that I endure in prayer for you so that you would be knit together. When I was deployed back in 2014 to the country of Qatar, it was, it was just before I arrived taken off of a list. And that list was like imminent danger, right? So I never got a right shoulder patch. If you're in the army, you understand that. Um, if you're deployed to a combat zone, you get a right shoulder patch. Well, they took Qatar off like a month before I arrived. Bummer. Well, when we were, before I deployed, I had some folks tell me, oh, it's already 7.50. I had some folks tell me, said, Chaplain, you're going to be busy. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Qatar is kind of a cush deployment. They, they've got a a pool there and a gym and they've got a restaurant and there's not a combat zone right you can go downtown to the market you can do all these things and he said because there's no enemy shooting at you you start shooting at each other and there were problems they were they were infighting and just craziness happened and so many soldiers got demoted and in trouble investigated not there i was in the commander's office Standing by the soldier, helping him out. I was busy. But when we can identify the enemy and we, we see the struggle, we say, hey, come on, guys, there's the enemy. He's not going to hurt us. Let's get together. And there's a unified front. And Paul, I believe, communicated his struggle, his conflict, because he knew it would, com- it would unify them in Jesus Christ. Folks, there's an enemy that is after our children and wants to close the doors of this church. And we'll get you to believe that you deserve to be, you deserve the accolades, you deserve the praise, you deserve the recognition, and he'll get you to start to identify the enemy as one another. Say, he didn't recognize me. He didn't treat me the way I should be treated. He stole the glory. I should get the glory. We start fighting each other and we fall apart at the seams. So when we say, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about Jesus, and we're all struggling together against the enemy. We're unified in Jesus Christ. We're comforted because someone's struggling for me. And because we see the enemy, we know who he is, we're fighting against him with the Lord's strength, we're unified. And he was convinced that it would knit them together. Look at this. Let's look at this concept of being knit together. He talks about being knit together in love. Grab these for an illustration here, just a minute. Let me read this for you from the biblical illustrator. Love is the true bond which unites men. 
and therefore adds to the strength of each. A real moral defense against even intellectual error is found in the compaction of Christian love. It even protects us against heresy and um, intellectual error. A community so interlocked will throw off many evils as a Roman legion with linked shields roofed itself over against missiles from the walls of a besieged city or as the imbricated scales, I like that word, imbricated scales of a fish keeping it dry. They were knit together how in love and what was the purpose? It was unto the full assurance of understanding. So the love that unified them, having looked at the conflict of Paul, saying, man, let's get together, this community, we're bound in love, actually helped protect even against error. We're unified in love and in doctrine and in practice. And, and when someone experiences a church like that, they are not tempted to go on after every wind of doctrine. They say, no, I've found what I need. A community that loves and stands in the truth of God and I find my fulfillment here. That unity brings about a full assurance or confidence in understanding of the truth of God. Let, let me read this. In times of religious unsettlement, would today be a time characterized as religious unsettlement? Oh yeah. In those times, Christian men are tempted to lower their own tone. Get a little quieter. I'm not going to speak so loud. And to say, it is so, with less certainty, because so many are saying it is not so. Before we'd say, yes, this is true. But today we say, yes, it's true. Now let's get out of here before I get attacked. Some are so afraid of being thought narrow that they seek the reputation of liberality by talking as if it were a film of doubt over even the truths most surely believed. Few things are more needed now than this full assurance that this is truth. And when we're knit together in love, our boldness goes through the roof. Caleb, can you give me a hand? Yeah, he's a pretty strong guy. All right. So I, I would, if I was a betting man, and I'm not... <laughs> I would venture to wager that he could break this pencil. Can you break the pencil? Show everybody, can you break it? Turn, turn so everybody can see it. All right, too easy. Can you break three pencils? At once, At once yes. <laughs> three people standing together. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. He did. Uh-oh. But when we are knit together, don't break it because you'll ruin my illustration. Can you break that? Let me see you. Pretty hard, huh? Hey, Christian, when you and me are standing alone and we don't feel loved, we're not so quick. Go ahead. Thank you, Caleb. We're not so quick to stand and say, yeah, yeah, I'll stand for truth. I'll stand for Christ. Even a handful of buddies, sometimes that falls apart. A, a church of three is a church. But when every single person in the pew is knit together in love, what a perfect representation of love. Duct tape, right? Amen. <laughs> we are strong together. And this is very difficult to break. 
And when we see the conflict that Paul and others have for us, that Pastor Barbara wrestles in prayer for us and struggles with the word, we say, yeah, yeah, we're together in this. He's struggling for us that we might understand the word. The devil is out to get us. Let's stand together, folks. We stand stronger on the truth. It's amazing how that happens. And we're protected like that Roman legion, locked with shields. And the devil throws the darts and we're okay. Our children are okay. And the doors stay open and we preach the truth to our community and we make an impact and there's longevity to the ministry. But there's an essential component called love that we need. And where else do we find a perfect example of that by, than by keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ? All right. So we're knit together in love. And it is unto full assurance of the understanding of the truth of God. It, it creates an atmosphere where truth is more apt to be listened to and accepted. Does that make sense? All right. And then also it is to the acknowledgement of the mystery. So we're knit together in love. It's under the full assurance, the confidence that yes, the word of God is true. And it is to the acknowledgement of the mystery where we say, yes, there is this mystery that all are one in Jesus Christ and I in him and him in me. And it's cyclical in a way because when we acknowledge that mystery, and even if I am a Jew who's supposed to have the, the prophets and the law, etc., I look at the Gentile and I say, he's in Christ also. We are one. And we are knit together in love. That's the acknowledgement of that mystery. So Christian, don't look at the next person and think that you deserve more accolades or glory or respect. The person to your left and right in front of you and behind you is one in Christ. You're the same. And when we're knit together in love, we can stand on the truth confidently. We acknowledge the mystery that we're all one in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. What is the mystery of God and of the Father, and of Christ. That phrase in chapter 2, verse 2, is debated among scholars. Some think it should read the mystery of God, even Christ. God is Christ, we, I agree. I think we have the word of God just as we should have it here. And the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, why is it worded that way? Well, it's hinting at similar wording that Jesus spoke in John 10, 30. What did he say? He said, I and my Father are one. And I think what Jesus and what Paul here are, are hinting at is there's this mystery that God has broken down the walls of partition and made us all one in Christ, just like we see in the Trinity where we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, not exactly, the illustration breaks down, but the unity of the Father and the Son, Jesus prayed that just as we are one, they would be what? One. And I think that's what Paul is referring to here, that this knitting together in love is to, is, is designed to bring us all to the point where we acknowledge the truth of this mystery. And what is the mystery? That every single one of us, as different as we are, are unified in Jesus Christ. We're one. We're his body. And we should function as one, with one mind, with one purpose. And a church that is unified like that, man alive, can accomplish something, can be strong. 
So let's remember what the mystery is, is, that we are one, just as the Father and Christ are one. Let's look at verse 3. He says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now think of this. The mystery has been revealed. We know that, correct? The incarnation happened. God became flesh. He lived among us. He went to the cross. He died, was buried, and rose again. The mystery has been revealed. Now we know that God's design in the church is to bring Gentile, Jew, man, woman, everybody together in one in Jesus Christ. But just because we know that the mystery has been revealed, does that mean that you and I understand it fully? Does anybody here claim to fully understand the mystery of the Trinity? Can you come up here and explain to me all the depths of the mystery of the Trinity? Okay, come up here and, and explain to me the oneness between husband and wife being one flesh. Come up here and explain that to me. Come up here and explain to me how we're all one body. There, there's, the mystery's revealed, but we're still kind of scratching our head going, there's more here that I need to learn, is there not? And when we dig into Jesus Christ and we find, ooh, look at this truth. That's pretty cool. Oh, wait, there's more here. And we start to dig. We find there's this whole network of treasure in Christ that you and I have yet to discover. In 1974, some Chinese peasant farmers were digging out there, building a well in um, a, a village there in China. And they found some broken pottery. And they thought, oh, this must have been a, a, an abandoned kiln. Maybe we can find some pottery and use it for stuff. So they started digging, and it led to the discovery of the terracotta warriors. This vast, and some of it has yet to be uh, uncovered. The illustration is this. You and I are just beginning to find the broken shards of the treasures that are hid in Jesus Christ. This mystery. And all the all the gems and, and the, the beautiful truths that, that are available for you and me in this life and in that to come. But folks, there's so much more hidden in Jesus Christ. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. They're all there. So stop believing the lies of the world that come over here and try this. You're missing out. The Gnostics are saying you need this special truth. The Judaizers are saying you need to keep these rules. No, it's in Jesus that you have everything you need. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. So look to Jesus Christ for everything that you need. The mystery's been revealed. We don't yet quite understand everything. All these riches are hidden in Jesus Christ. But the best part, the best part of all of this is found in the mystery itself. And that is, we are in Christ. And in Christ, we have access to the treasure. That's the best part of all. There are archaeological digs that archaeologists would love to get their shovels on. But they're restricted, they can't go in. I remember watching, it's in, uh, I forget what city it was, but every spring they have to cover it all up so the farmers can farm it. Every spring. They dig in there hurriedly, they get all the artifacts they can, they're learning. Oh, springtime, we got to dump a bunch of dirt back on top of it. So they're restricted access. Some people say they found Noah's Ark on the mountains of Ararat. 
but it's in a restricted area. But you and me are not restricted. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. And the mystery is we can walk right in. We are not restricted. Thank you. Keep digging. Keep finding more. There's more to be found. We have access in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 4. And I'm almost done. He says all this, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's a beguiling lie that Satan has pitched to you. And Paul writes these words so that you can know you already have everything you need in Jesus Christ. Don't be beguiled by the lie of Satan. He lied to Eve. She believed him, gave it to her husband, and he ate, and look where we are now. That didn't get us anywhere fast. But if you'll believe the truth and you'll be knit together in love so that you can be bold about the truth and protect this church so that we can dig deeper together and, and share it with the world. Folks, it's exciting. There's a lot more. He writes all this to say, um, I don't want you to be deceived. The beguiling lie is the Gnostics said that you need secret knowledge. The Judaizers said you need to keep rules. The world is constantly telling us, you need this, you need that, you need over there, you're missing out. But we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. And we have access. We don't have to wait till the Day of Atonement to go talk to Jesus. We don't have to wait until the priest opens the scroll to hear the Word of God. We can read it anytime we want. What are we waiting for? Why, why do we have to dust off the covers of the scriptures? Get in. In him are hid all the treasures, the Bible says. All in him, they're there. The mystery's been revealed, but there's treasures that are hid. So start digging. Paul labored to reveal this truth to them. Christ died to make us one with himself so that we could have access to these treasures that are unimagined. You and I have no idea what there is in Jesus Christ. My question for you is this. Is Jesus at the center of your search? Or are you laboring and struggling and in conflict to satisfy your heart and soul with something the world has to offer? It's very easy to get sidetracked on this. If I only had more money, if I only had a bigger house, if I could only get that car, if I could only X, Y, and Z, is Jesus at the center of your search? Is he your end all and be all? Is he your all in all? Is he everything? So what do we do with these truths? Well, Christian, you have access, so go and excavate the treasure. Go start digging. Get a hunger for what you have in Jesus Christ. F.B. Meyer said this, and I'm done. If we have Christ, we have all God's fullness, all of it. And this is easily accessible. We're not restricted. We don't have to go on some journey. It's right here at our fingertips. Like Jacob's ladder, he links us with God. What need have we for celestial beings like those invented by the Gnostics or for the rite of circumcision as insisted on by the Jews? We have everything in Jesus he has fulfilled the law in all respects on our behalf. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's, salvation is available. If you've not received it, it's free. Take it. 
And in Christ are all the fullness of glory and, and truths for you to dive into. And Christian, you have access. So excavate those treasures. Dig in and find the treasures that are hid in Jesus Christ. They're there accessible for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that the wall of partition, the restrictions have been broken down. And even though the mystery has been revealed, there's treasure there in Jesus Christ that we have not yet imagined. Or give us a hunger and a thirst to dig and excavate these truths daily in your word, on our knees before you in prayer. Lord, would you open the eyes of our understanding so that we can know you, knit us together in love in this conflict against the devil and for the truth, for our future. For the glory of God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.